As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookie End, a podcast about Watford Football Club, brought to you by The Athletic. And well, it is Saturday afternoon. Watford have just lost 1-0 away at Boscombe. Uh, it isn't the greatest place in the world for us to go. <laughs> We've had a couple of interesting games. You know, there was, of course, there was the Angela first minute sending off. That was the last time the home side won in one of these games, I think. Well, here's an inter- I've got an interesting stat for you in a minute, Michael. Uh, of course, it was the coming of Richarlison uh, in his season away at Bournemouth. Uh, Cabaselli uh, had a lay down once there. And of course, there's the last... <laughs> Last year's brilliant fist-pumping moment from Chalabar and Big Nige that sort of really summed up where we were uh, just before lockdown uh, last year. And today, well, today was uh, another game where Watford lost to Bournemouth. But we lost to Bournemouth with 10 men on the pitch. And we have only lost to Bournemouth with 10 men on the pitch. They have never beaten us when we have 11 men on the pitch at the end of the game. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Well, not least, not least until since 1996-1997. My name is John. Uh, with me uh, this afternoon is Jason. Hello there. Colin. Good afternoon. And Michael. Uh, good afternoon. I'd like to dedicate my input into <laughs> today's podcast to my mum, Sue Parkin. Hello, mum. I know you'll be listening her dislike of Bournemouth is unmatched by anyone I have ever met or heard of. She cannot stand them. And the fire in mum's belly when it comes to Bournemouth, if we could match that for the rest of the season, we'll, we'll do really well. I texted dad afterwards just to check he, it, she was all right. And uh, he said, I'm not sure she's in the garden taking it out on anything that's not moving. <laughs> and then I got an update, an update saying they've had to cancel the gardener because she'd got hold of a secateurs and had chopped down virtually everything in the garden. Then mum had evidently grabbed dad's phone and texted me back and said, uh, I've just got back from the, frid- from the fridge and I've dumped all the cherries that I bought yesterday in the bin because I'm not <laughs> eating them. So if we could match mum's enthusiasm and commitment to the cause for the rest of the season, we'll be fine. This one's for you, mum. G- g- keep going. Good girl. That is quite impressive. We've given oh. the language that we've seen across our uh, WhatsApp group in the yeah. last hour or so for your mum to hate them more than we do she that, does that's got to take some doing <laughs> but, she's, but done, she's done it in, cl- in a classy way she hasn't used bad language she's just put fruit into the bin 
And she's channeled her fury to get out there in the garden and do a few things. So well done, Mum. Good on you. Well done. To you. Well done. Well done. Let's talk about the game. And, and weirdly, let's start at the end of the game. Uh, it didn't end particularly uh, beautifully. Um, it, it was a, a rugged end. Who should I start with? Mike? Jason. <laughs> Jason, what did you think about the end of that game? Pedro got sent off for a second yellow, first of all. Uh, Wiltshire got sent off for piling on to Cleverly for, well, basically having a go at his little friend, Lerma, who we all will talk about, I'm sure, at, at great length. It was an interesting end in terms of what happened, but was a very warming end as a Watford fan for seeing actually how the Watford players were acting until the 90th minute. It's horrible. Isn't it? I, was, I was fuming at the end. I was shouting and swearing at the telly and I was getting told <laughs> off because small child was within earshot. Um, I just, I, and without going off too much of a tangent, I hate losing. I'm, I'm now ugh, angry. And part of it is not even just this game. Since the Swansea game, we've played, we, we've changed things around. You know, we, we've struggled for a bit, but we've only lost two games since that Swansea game to Blooming QPR at home in the last minute, and then at Bournemouth, probably the two games. If you picked two games there that you said, <laughs> I don't want to lose those two, it would have been those two games. And that is part of it. Um, back to the game today. I, I tell you what, I think where things really seemed to pick up for me was when Gosling got stuck in. He was on the yeah. pitch, he'd been on the pitch about five minutes, and he got straight into the Bournemouth when they were rolling around. I think it was Pedro's first yellow card. Pedro, I mean, he, all he's done, he's, he's sort of gone to to put his foot up to block the clearance from Lerma. Lerma's kicked him and then sort of rolled around. Gosling's gone straight in there. He knows exactly what they're like. He's gone in and, and had words and he's hanging around. He's, he stayed, I think, in the referee's face whilst the referee was sorting out the yellow card. And you just sort of start thinking, yeah, he knows exactly what they're like. If it's, This isn't us bleating on about them and feeling sorry for ourselves. We know exactly what Bournemouth right and Gosling going in like that. He knows he was there for what five or six seasons. This this is typical them, and just from that point onwards, it just it just got a bit tasty, didn't it? And it was. You, you can argue that yeah, Watford. Uh, you can argue that Watford lost their their rag at the end, and they did. But I'd rather see that response, shoulder to shoulder, getting stuck in, saying, "Right, you lot, you are an absolute sorry mob." than having to put up with watching a team that does what Bournemouth does for 90 minutes. I prefer our lot to their lot. We didn't lose our rag immediately. It started with, obviously, so Pedro looked like he got body checked, blocked off, slipped. Okay, yeah, probably did leave his foot in for the for the challenge, got the yellow. Cleverly, I think, went up to went up to Lerma and expressed his displeasure about him rolling around for the umpteenth time this afternoon. And then it was Wilshire that went barreling in. Not not our boys straight away. Wilshire was the first mm. one to go barreling in, and that's where it kicked off from. So, yeah, fair point. yes, we showed some passion, but I wouldn't say that it was us that made things kick off. So I'm quite angry, can you tell? Yeah, that's Jace, fair. you are. And hopefully that helped. <laughs> I know what's going to help me. One second, lads. Ah, a beer. Colin, what about you, though? You love a, you love a Bournemouth ding-dong. Like I say, that, that end of the game, that, well, not the end of the game, the whole second half, we weren't really at it. And it all really, really went when we had the, the goal from Bournemouth, which, well, was another incident, which we're not quite sure what was going on in terms of whose free kick it was. It doesn't really matter whose free kick it was, John. I mean, we should have defended it better, and it was just one ball over the top. Batman beaten at the near post, Cathcart nowhere near it. It was very disappointing to concede that goal, particularly after it was about four or five minutes of Lerma lying on the ground because the fingernail had brushed his eyebrow, uh, trying to get Chalabar sent off. It did look like the Ref had given the free kick to Watford and then either changed his mind or maybe when he gave... I mean, I, it is impossible to tell. There was a melee and 
it's sort of that's where they it started to heat up the, the kind of battling aspect to it but I, I i think it wasn't our best performance by a long way obviously and we've had four wins on the trot we were hoping to get a fifth against uh i mean if mum's uh if uh mike's mum hates bournemouth i mean i've got to be fairly close to the kind of ire that she feels because i've hated that club since the 80s we'll make you vice president of the of the club um, <laughs> if there's if there's ever a power cut We'll plug you and my mum into the mains, into the, the national grid, Colin. Your hatred of Bournemouth will power. I remember you. them back then in the eighties. They were just as annoying then, they still, and they're, they're even more annoying now. I'm glad there weren't fans there today. I have to say because I think that would have there would have been it would have been difficult after the game with uh, the players. You know, the players have to understand that if that is allowed to escalate in the way that it did, and there are fans in the ground when you're playing rivals, you are asking. For for the fans to behave improperly after the game. So I'm quite glad in that regard. As far as the the second half was, I thought in some ways, you know, the difference was that we just didn't put our our few chances away. There was a Pedro header. There was a Saar almost got his toe poke on it and pushed it under Begovic. There were just little tiny moments. You look back at the last game and you see our second goal where where Saar manages to sort of hook it in at the far post after it's deflected off a defender. He managed to hook it in. You know, he could easily not have got that. You know, that could not have gone in because that's the kind of margins we're talking about. Today, if he got his toe on that ball we would have been one all and we will be singing a different tune. So I don't think we were miles off it. We were away from home. They were desperate for a win and they got up to their, their old tricks. And, and it, it's, I agree with Mike. I mean, I'd much rather see us react than not react because what it shows is, and also there's a, there can be a kind of ripple effect, I think, from these kinds of incidents, which is that those Watford players will be back in that dressing room. They'll be feeling incredible sense of injustice, that they could have got something from the game, that the, the Bournemouth were just cheating like they always do, throwing themselves on the floor, surrounding the referee. I thought you weren't supposed to do that anymore. I thought any captains could speak to referees, but they were up to it. And this can be something that they can take forward, this kind of rage and anger and passion, but also the kind of togetherness. When you see Jao Pedro, who's the youngest player on the pitch, literally, he's just up for it. Anytime there's trouble, he's the first one there. And, 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 and the senior players obviously love him and they pull him away, okay? But I mean, you know, there's a kind of, it can create a real sense of togetherness, that kind of incident. And I hope that the players will take the, the battle the the bundle uh, as I wrote it's like an old fashioned secondary school bundle um, and, uh, and, uh, and and they can take that forward that kind of attitude and spirit all in all I think that you know we were it wasn't our best performance we played seven games in twenty eight days you know you can't keep going at that at the top level you're going to have a game where you suddenly are five six seven ten percent off your best but I, we still were able to create chances we still kept going to the end of the game. And the difference was we fell asleep for 30 seconds and they scored a goal. And, and that really was the only difference between the teams. They dominated uh, through most of the game after the first 20 minutes or so. And you would expect them to do that. They need a win. They haven't won for ages. They're at home. You would expect them to be, uh, you know, to be up for it and dominant. They pressed us well. So it wasn't our greatest uh, performance, but... We were just a little bit off it, but you know, one of those little moments we could have scored and we didn't today, but we have in the past. And I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel overly concerned about this performance. I don't feel like it's a massive step backwards. It's frustrating when you see the opposition behave in the way that they do. They never get called out for it. No one ever says, "What is wrong with this club? Are they trained to do it?" This is what Gosling was selling to the ref. They, they do it in training. They're trained to do it. 
Every <laughs> single coach. I don't think Woodgate likes it, actually. I think Woodgate will be the difference. He looked really unhappy with the way that... I'm not entirely sure played. that's true, Colin. He's come out afterwards and called Lerma's performance was... a real man's performance. And, well, uh, I mean, that's what, that's what you do, isn't it? You're <laughs> not going to dig him out. You're not going to dig him out, are you, after a game like that? But when, when we were watching it on the telly, you could see the commentators who were watching Woodgate were going, mm, he doesn't look that impressed when he's rolling around on the floor. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, that is who Bournemouth are. We need to be ready for that. We yeah. were, to, to some extent, we were ready for it. And in the end, it boiled over. They wanted it to boil over because that wastes time. To box off the discipline thing, I mean, Adam used the phrase on on a tweet, um, you know, that was a farce. And, it, you know, it was farcical, really. You know, Lerma's getting getting all the, the, the heat for, for quite rightly, too. I mean, Don Don Goodman was was calling him out for his absolutely... Uh, an abomination of a response. Shame to, on him, he said. To, yeah, 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 it was. It, it was him, absolutely yeah. shameful because there's only one thing he wanted, and that was a red card. And what what happened in the in the result at Melly? The referee clearly gives the free kick to Watford. Um, you don't change a free kick for for afters. That that's not how it works. Um, but but anyway, look, the whole thing was farcical. Bournemouth were uh, they did what they what they always do. Whilst I'm I'm glad that we stood shoulder to shoulder at the end, and I actually think that it being on TV and being the early game, I think there might be a few eyes on that game that might not ordinarily have been on it and a, a few people raising their eyebrows at, at Bournemouth and their behaviour because it was so, Lerma in particular, it was so rel- relentlessly uh, appalling, quite frankly. So whether that will help them in future games, whether refs will be having a closer look at them in future, you'd like to think so. But also, we knew what was coming. You know, Watford, we've played, enough of that side have played that, that side or played at that ground enough over the last five, six, seven years during the course of this sort of, rivalry because it is it's a massive rivalry now isn't it you can hear in the, the tempo we're all speaking you know all the hack now all our hackles are up uh the Bournemouth fans are loving it as as well they might it's a proper rivalry um it's it's not a derby in the in the dictionary defend, uh, uh, definition of the term but it is isn't it it's the biggest it's one of the biggest games in our in our calendar um so the Watford players got, have got to know what's coming and when they see that from from Lerma early on and I know it's hard to do because, you know, we're furious, we're not playing. Grab each other, walk away, deep breaths. There's one way to answer stuff like that, and that's to stick it in the back of the net and to disappear back down the motorway with the points. They weren't able to do that today, which is slightly disappointing. And I think, you know, Colin, you alluded to it, it wasn't our best performance. We started the game really well. We started the game with that swagger that we've come accustomed to over the last couple of weeks, and Bournemouth looked like the team that was struggling for form. But that, that we didn't make the most of that. You know, there was an early Messina header, um, and we didn't really capitalise on that on that early dominance, and we looked by far the better side. But over the course of the piece, it shifted. I thought Bournemouth got a, a, a real good foothold in the game in the, in sort of halfway through the first half, and they didn't really didn't really look back. So let's deal with the discipline. We I think we've all had our say. Pretty appalling. Pretty, it's disgusting, really, isn't it? For some of the stuff they get up to. Um, but you know, what can you do about it? The, the only way to answer it is is to do it on the pitch. We weren't able to do it. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. After the game, of course, Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic, was down on the south coast enjoying the sunshine uh, in the, as he put it, a farcical end to the game. Uh, and of course, he went to the press conference and got the views of Cisco Munoz. Uh, and here's what he had to say after the game. Uh, I think today is the moment for take only positive things. It's true we can give a better performance. We can play better. We come here and we know exactly what is the game and we know what is the the good quality of the, the team. I wanted the positive, you know, is I think our team was in the game, all the game was a big intensity, hard and uh, try play. Sometimes you have a better performance, sometimes you can give more better. I think today we can play more better, we have uh, make more chance because we have a lot of chance for, for the score. Also what I won't say about my players I brought because Sometimes when you lose, you understand what is the difficult one for games or five games continue. No, I think now is the moment for continue work hard. I spoke before about this. I say, it's sure we have a difficult moments until the final, and the most important that we are together. You know, is a is amazing talent what we have. I don't know if we live in the first or the second position. We are working like uh, very hard for try. This is our objective. Uh, every day, our fans thinking about our game. And also, I think today, our fans can see our players give uh, the maximum for, for the team. Sometimes happen when also when I was player, I would lose sometimes the moments. But, uh, you know, I think I have one moment in the game. You know, the moment in the game was when uh, the referee put the foul in our side and after change, I don't know why, when received Chalo, the yellow. Sometimes lose the points for one decision or for 10 seconds. And uh, I think he was today the difference. If not, maybe today we receive a draw because I think both teams will have a, a lot of chance for a score. But I repeat, we need a continuum every day, work hard. And I know it's, a, it's a difficult to take the points in the, in the championship. Also, I think we need to learn about this. In all the situations until the final, sure, we have a different emotions. I spoke before also about emotions in the championship. It's a short and sometimes it's like a up and down, up and down. And also the game, you have different moments. And we need to have the control about this. Okay, it's, uh, I think we, we learned today about the situation. And sure, until the final, we have uh, another, another situation like this for, for show everyone if I learn a lot about this situation. Colin, he didn't. He didn't comment really at that point uh, after the game about what happened. He was quite, uh, not, maybe not guarded, but he wasn't going to get drawn into commenting on the, the Watford reaction to the end. But he did comment on the reaction uh, in, a, in a positive way in terms of how we actually went about our business. And I suppose if we get past all this, these moments, the goal and then the, everything that went before that and then the, the end of the game, it wasn't an amazing uh, performance from Watford, but it was in many ways... If that's our lowest that we have in this division, then that's that's all right with me. 
It just needs to win games and win games against tough teams like Bournemouth. It needs a little bit more. But the reaction to the being one behind, that was a new thing for us. We haven't had been, and him especially as a coach, we didn't really react, did we? No, we didn't. And it was disappointing. You know, in the last 15 minutes, you, you, you kind of expect the team that's 1-0 down to really throw the kitchen sink at the opposition. And, and we were still, you know, keeping the ball in our own half, passing it back and forth, looking for long balls over the top. We didn't really overrun them. They were, they were quite happy to defend. And obviously they will fall down as soon as they're touched when the ball's anywhere near them. So you, you're up against that. But we didn't really react in the way that I wanted to see. I, I don't want us to run around like headless chickens because we've got a goal down, but I wanted to see a little bit more uh, from them as uh, in terms of taking a bit more risk getting forward. Obviously, they're concerned about conceding a second goal on the break because in, in a sense, that's what their goal came from. It's sort of like a counter-attack, wasn't it, from that free kick with the, uh, uh, running in behind us. But they, So th- there was caution. We didn't, I don't think we really took enough risk. I'm not sure that, that, that Cisco he brought on Parisa, but I, you know, it wasn't like he went all out to get the point. Parisa didn't come on to the 84th minute. He brought on a defender and a midfielder, didn't he? Protected Chalabar from the second yellow. And they were like-for-like substitutions as well. What was disappointing is that we didn't really get hold of the game by the scruff of the neck and go, right, let's do what we... like. A bit like Bournemouth did at Vicarage Road like, you know, earlier in the season. They were one nil down, but they kept going, kept going, and they really put us under pressure, and eventually they got their equaliser. We weren't... We didn't really look like we were going to... And I, I do... We have played seven games in 28 days, and I do think that, you know, in the last quarter of a game... When you're a goal down, you just wonder after all those games whether or not there's really they've got the mental strength, the legs, you know, to, to really put that kind of pressure on a team like Bournemouth. And uh, it was disappointing. It, they'll learn from it. I think Cisco will learn from it. Now he's a very positive individual, isn't he? He didn't really want to talk about the the trouble at the end of the game. He 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 wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that the free kick had been given one way and then somehow managed to be given the other way. That would have annoyed him. But um, he he seems to want to take positives all the time, and I think that's the right thing to do. He needs to keep the spirit up. He needs to keep the togetherness. But it was a bit disappointing, John, to see a rather lacklustre reaction. I thought to going a goal down, uh, and hopefully. Um, we won't have to watch them do that too many times in the next 13 games. Did we see our lack of attacking options, do you think, there? Oh, 100%. I think the late substitution was a thing that you have, I have in my head about wanting to know, is that the thing that might have given us an extra edge for maybe, you know, in a five, ten minutes? It was only for the last, you know, 84 minutes, the last six, seven minutes of the game. You know, we didn't get to see it to know if we actually don't have it. We will get to see it because Pedro, of course, uh, is going to have a match ban for his, uh, his second yellow card. But I think it's about the timing of it as, as well. It, it, I've talked about this before. It's sort of, you, if you look at the, the numbers on this, if you want to change the way the game's going, you need to make the substitutions a lot earlier. The, the first lot of substitutions we make, okay, yes, we're protecting Chalabar because he's been booked and we've gone like for like there and, and sort of no real complaints about bringing Gosling into the game. But then we're swapping Messina for Lazar, just a like-for-like at left-back, and that doesn't feel like a change that's going to change the game. Um, and then as the game went on, ultimately Bournemouth was sitting a bit deeper, looking to catch us on the counter. Hughes is then getting a lot of the ball around the edge of the centre circle in their half, and we're almost restricted to him pinging little diagonals over to the right-hand sort of corner of the penalty area where we've got a couple of players over there just to see if we can win some knockdowns. And it, and it all became a bit one-dimensional for me. Yeah, yeah. 
and and we really didn't offer anything other than that and it didn't feel like we've we've talked about the previous two games where it's got a little bit squeaky at the end and, and we've been a bit panicky in the box it never felt like Bournemouth were under that pressure from us which you'd want to see you want to see the thing on the mm. other foot when we're one goal up we're panicking when we're one goal down we need the opposition defense to be panicking and it never never seemed to get to that stage I'm not sure that Gosling for Chalabar is like for like I think it's a really good substitution when you're Two one up, one nil up, three two up. Because I think he adds a certain solidity when he comes on, which I really like, and I think he's been a good addition uh, to the squad. But I don't think if you take Chalabar off and bring Gosling on, you do lose a bit of Chalabar's ambition. So all through the first half, Chalabar was joining Pedro up on the edge of the Bournemouth box whenever he could, and he brings he he's playing in that kind of withdrawn position in a sort of number 10 position I suppose pushing up and I don't think Gosling really does that so when we're 1-0 down and you bring Gosling on for Chalabar I'm not saying it was the wrong thing to do because Chalabar looked for all the world like he was going to get sent off um, which we didn't want to have happen especially as he's already got a two match ban for the 10 yellow cards so um, that probably would have gone to three and we, we really need him but I'm not sure that that bringing Gosling on is really a good way to chase a game because I don't think he offers the same attacking uh, I, I felt the opposite of, to be honest, Carl. I thought the ball when you? the ball when the ball. I like where where Chalibur pops up, and I like his enthusiasm. Is patronising? It's the wrong word, but uh, I like the fact that he is in important advanced positions. But I think all, all too often, when the ball does come to him, say 30, 40 yards out, it it breaks down, and he tries to move it on, and and he and he he not it's not through want of trying. So it's not a huge criticism, but I think it. He felt like, a, and again, this is too far the other way. This is too critical. He felt like a bit of a blockage in terms of keeping the, the ball moving when we needed, you know, just touch and keep it moving, whether it's out to the flanks or touch, move it forward. We weren't quite getting that from him. And I think Gosling looks a little bit more nimble of foot to, the, the, to me when it comes to getting the ball in those advanced positions. I don't think he's quite delivered um, in, enough for me to be singing his praises from an attacking um, point of view, yeah, but I, I, I did question Chalabard. Sort of, he just can't seem to keep it moving quick enough, and that, that this is a real, it, it's a, it's a tough criticism. But again, we talk about margins when you're playing in these sort of games and at the, at the, at the top end of the table where things are incredibly tight. We need to do something that that we need to break teams down. And it's, all too often, I thought, you know, we had that great start to, the, and the, the crosses in. We talked uh, in a couple of podcasts ago about. We've changed the trajectory. We've sort of fizzed the balls in instead of floating them in. Well, we seem to be floating them in today. We didn't have much luck. And I thought perhaps if we can, a bit more pace, a bit more zip, a bit more urgency, we might have asked some more questions early on. I was going to say, I think on that point, and what we've done well in the 4-3-3, is the two advanced midfielders making these runs into the box and supporting the attack. Um, to give to give Bournemouth some credit, to, to try easy now, Jay. Easy, sore loser. Mum, switch off now. I thought when <laughs> when when uh, when we were on the front foot, when we did start so well, they actually they defended really well and they tracked these runs. They were as well as sort of putting two men on Saar when Saar was out wide. They tracked the fullbacks when the fullbacks were going forward, but then they tracked Chalabar and they tracked cleverly when they were looking to make these runs into the box to support the midfield, mm. and that made it so much harder for for the guys. And I think that's probably part of the reason why perhaps 
Chalabar wasn't as, as effective as he has been in, in previous games, Mike. So there's a slight hole in our squad, that position, isn't it? In that we're playing Chalabar there or Gosling comes on. What we, I mean, and I hate to say this because I know that you may not agree with me, but we, we're slightly missing that dynamic player you can bring on at 75 minutes. Someone like a, like a Dominguez Queener who can come on and run around and be really dynamic and, uh, and, tr- and try to affect that game. We don't seem to have that midfield substitution where it can put us back on the front foot. We haven't got that transformative player that we can bring on at the moment. It's coming though, isn't it? It's coming, but it's not there yet. You think that Zinkenagel will be coming into that role, you hope. And and Gosling, again, should be coming into doing something and having impact. But the two of them, just in terms of their up to speed on in being in the championship or up to speed in being fitness, that's that's where I think maybe we're lacking a little bit in those in those substitutions. Even if it was Queener, he'd probably be in exactly the same position because... You know he's not starting many games, and he hasn't started many games before he went off to off to Granada. But I suppose my thing, Mike, is looking at this this squad over this last 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 month, really, uh, trying to figure out wh- where they are in terms of what 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 has been the thing that's helped us, uh, and still what do we need in this squad to to be a true true championship contender not one that could do it if things go well which is where I think we are at the moment you know I keep hearing phrases like identity and, mm-hmm. and character and, and system of playing football and I think about those teams that are, are successful you think at Man City well they've got a very good system and they've, they've got an identity basically in their manager and, and Leicester when they won the league they were all about character and you know, getting in the wins for you in the last month what is it that we, we, we've done and have we really developed a, a true identity or is it just really coming through this Four three three. Are we there yet? I think we're having to fast track because I think we we wasted so much of the season finding a, a, even a vague sense of identity, didn't you? You know, we talked about Don Goodman's comments on 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 what un, unfolded at Bournemouth today. Well, the last time Don Goodman commentated on Watford was away at Coventry. He relegated we agree- us. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, well, he didn't relegate us, but we agreed with his his assessment that it's impossible for Watford to get promoted playing like the way they were. And I agreed with him completely. And if you think about the the, the um, evolution of this Watford side in that time, a very, very short space of time, they have gone from really, uh, promotion no-hopers to knocking on the door very realistically of, of a top two spot. And I think that's huge credit to this side. And I think what's happened is that they found a foothold in midfield and they found some they found a sort of um you know the armored spears as Adam called them in in, in midweek we fa- they found they've got a foothold as well they've started to ask questions now what they need to do is they and I think that initially that took people by surprise because the people hadn't really seen it from Watford at all um and now what clubs are doing and I said Watford are going to start looking pretty big in people's rearview mirrors they will be taking notice of Watford now working out what their threats are. And as Jason mentioned a few moments ago, we'll be setting up to, to nullify that. Now, the next stage of our revolution is, and it will have to come quickly, is how do we break down clubs who are wise to our new look, our new system and our new swagger? Colin, is that, do you think we need to find more character or do you think we just need to find more of this, you know, develop this system even further? Well, the systems clearly um, makes us a more attacking threat. So that is a good thing because we've sat through a lot of games in the sort of early part of the season where we didn't look like we had a plan to score goals. We just hoped we'd score goals. And now with players like Cleverly and and, uh, Chalabar joining that front three when they can and putting more bodies in the box, we're more of an attacking threat. I would say that we are beginning to develop an identity. And I think the reason is, one, we've allowed Cisco to start working in the way and creating the team that he wants to create. 
and he's a very inexperienced coach so he obviously needs time and he needs support and he needs to have the players trust and their belief in him and I think that is also something that is beginning to happen but the reason I think we've got more of an identity is because it looks to me now like every player knows what their job is and it's a set very settled side you know the two changes maybe every every game but is it an identity or just a system but you the what the, the two things are indivisible you can't you can't have an identity without a system. If you have a system, that may well lead you to having more of an identity. I mean, Man City is a, is a good example, although they play kind of, you know, I don't know what sort of football they're playing. It's like something up in the stars. But And, and who knows what their system is. But clearly... If you work with a group of players consistently, they start to understand where each other is, what their strengths and weaknesses are, where they need to be when the ball is here, where they need to be when the ball is there, what they do when they haven't got the ball, what they do when they have got the ball and so on. And that's how you start to build an identity. So this very strong 4-3-3 system that he has decided on, I think suits our squad because we've got three really good central midfielders. Hughes is happy to sit a little bit. Cleverly's got the engine of an 18-year-old kid. And Chalabar, is, for me, is a much better player when he's playing in a more advanced position, even though he wasn't, he didn't have his best day-to-day and he does give the ball away. But that's because he's trying to do something rather than just making the safe pass. So I don't really mind that. But And, and he'll grow into that role as he gets more confident. I like the fact we got two wide players Sema and Saar and you can see that when Sema gets it now Saar is drifting into the box so that puts another body in the box when Saar's got it Sema comes in into an inside left position so these these uh, developments and this evolution of the side as a group rather than just looking at individuals as players I think is starting to provide us with an identity and I think Mike has got it absolutely right we've taken teams a bit by surprise because we started the season as a counter-attacking team for some reason no one knows why and um because we obviously have real quality in our in our squad and and now we look to play on the front foot like we did today in the first 20 minutes we put them under quite a lot of pressure in that first 20 minutes and they they did handle it well Jace is absolutely right they defended really well now what we need to do is is to get even better at it because we will have to break sides down that just sit back uh, and try to defend against us. And we, we, we've been, I would say, a little bit lucky at times. You know, the Pedro goal against Blackburn, the flick over there, that could easily have gone over the bar or bounced and then gone over the bar. The little flick from uh, from Saar for the second goal. You know, the, these things are not lucky, but they're, you hope that that's, you've got the quality to score those goals. Today we didn't, but I, I think we are developing something which I look forward to watching us play now. Mm. Whereas a couple of months ago, I was like, oh, Lord, you know, are we are we just going to, is it going to be another miserable 90 minutes where we never really create a chance and we don't look very dynamic and we don't pass the ball very quickly? I think tempo is another thing. If you can start to play at a high tempo, I think we're pressing. I think we've got better at working as a team in those four positions, putting teams under pressure, hoping to make, uh, make them make a mistake that we can benefit from. We've seen that. Uh, in recent weeks. So I, I think there is an identity growing. I don't think it's fully there yet. I think the players look more confident in the way that they're being asked to play, the system they're playing. So I think all these things combine. And, and as for character, well, I, I, I don't think there's any lack of character. I mean, I, you can see that today in the way that they stuck together. And once they were being pushed by Bournemouth, uh, as Mike rightly said, Wilshire ran, I don't know, 15 yards to run into Cleverly and, and the team just reacted. They're like, we're not having that. We're together. We are a unit. What we didn't have today was the character to get the equaliser. We didn't quite have it. And that might just be legs. Exactly. That's it. The legs. Like, after running around on Blackburn's pitch on in the week, it would have been a bit more tiring than running around on our pitch and Bournemouth's pitch. But I think you're right, Colin. You know, that, that character, almost like this moment that ended the game, 
could it could be one of those not the moment but one of those moments that helps the team come together and develop develop that character it gives them something almost to, to hang their hat on in terms of that's what we're going to have to put up against and that's how we've we, we've now got to play and that will help develop the character john can i ask you something just how you felt about Watford defensively this afternoon because it's been quite noticeable the last is it the last three or four games we've had two different centre back pairings I'd usually I'd be perfectly happy with Sir Alta and Cathcart I think they offer two different things and they in my mind they, they probably complement each other but you know Messina uh, got caught out and gave away uh, he was on a yellow card wasn't he Cathcart for the goal whether or not the free kick should have been taken or was indeed a <laughs> free kick at all <laughs> it's obviously open to debate but Cathcart got got sort of left napping a little bit and then Backman got beaten at his near post. Tuesday night, we, we were a bit on, on the ropes as well. Do you think, just your take, John, just to, how you feel about us defensively over the last couple of games, whether it's more of a worry than it has been in the previous three or four games before it? Well, I mean, I haven't enjoyed the, the end of the games recently, sat watching it, but actually look what happened. It's been fine uh, because we've seen those games out. We haven't let in a late goal. The, yeah, the, the centre-backs always gives me, not worry, but it, it gives you an easy thing to question because of changing things about. And as we've sort of talked about with the, the rest of the team, the fact that we've got this same starting eleven and they are, identif- they're, they're, you know, just the fact that it's the same players on the pitch, they're helping that identity sort of come through. You worry that they're that this flicking things around. Well, every game, you know, the, the pairing is is almost different. That they're not going to keep that that synergy and that relationship building. Uh, and they were, I think that, that goal today, you sort of look. Craig was caught out. He looks and see Ralph is absolutely right because there's a man running and he's covering him. So I'm, I'm happy with Messina. I think he's more to do with in, uh, not injury, more to do with tiredness. And the number of games he's played, Kiko. Well, you can't just bash Kiko, really, can you? Because he's mm-hmm. just absolutely fantastic. He did get so, caught out a couple of times today, actually, didn't he? But then Kiko? he sorted himself out, though. I think that's yeah. the difference with Kiko. He then sorted himself out, and that's what you can enjoy about him. So I think, I suppose, I do don't want to see as much uh, switching around uh, in terms of game to game to game to game, just so those those relationships, especially the centre backs, can can be cemented. And I think Messina, it was interesting that he was the one who got taken off and how early in many ways he got taken off. And the fact he got taken off, why take off a, a defender when you, you want to score goals? It wasn't like he was taken off you know, for, for, for an attacker. So, yeah, I, I am happy with them. I think they've definitely got themselves back into a place where we, were, you know, we felt that you know, under Ivic, we had a strong defence. So they're, they're back there with the attack. I just think they're just playing quite a lot of games and you know, we were caught out in a, in a moment. And those moments, the things when we play the tough teams, which we do have to keep playing those tough teams, they have to be ready and, and switched on. And But to be fair, by the time we get to play our tough games in this season, we're not going to be playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, no. Saturday, Tuesday. We, we've, we've got like the only midweek game we've got after Rotherham is right at the end against Norwich away. So yeah. the, the games, the run-ins... We don't have a lot of... We haven't got two games a week, basically. So that I'm, I'm sort of happy that maybe by the time we get to there, we'll be in a better place with a better identity and more character to be able to, to take on those big teams. I think you're all right. I think, I think that you've all mentioned the, the, the pace of the, ga- the games and, the, and the, just the sheer weight of them all. And I, as, as I listened to you talking, I sort of, you know, my negativity crept in. It's like, well, it's just kind of the same for everyone. Everyone's on this, on this very, very demanding schedule. But just thinking about it there and just talking about how Kiko made a couple of errors and they switched off after the after the nonsense with Lerma and just weren't able just to have that extra spark and I do think that possibly just the whole thing it is 
you know, it is draining both mentally and and psych- psychologically. You know, last night I watched the um, the Ben Foster video of their their trip up to to Blackburn. You know, they're getting back on. So what was it? Thursday morning, one o'clock in the morning, driving back home at one o'clock in the morning. I think the majority of them then back into training the next day. So that's um, Thursday, and we're now Saturday. It was half twelve when they kicked off. So it, presumably they would travel down last night, I guess, to Bournemouth or very early this morning. But I assume last night. So it is. You know, let's not let's not be too uh, too uh, you know they they flew to Blackburn and they stayed in a beautiful hotel and seemed to be getting fed <laughs> every thirty five minutes. But it is tough, you know, away from families. You know, COVID rumbles on, so a lot of lot of stuff to take into account. So just hearing you guys talk there, and I think it did feel like there was. It, it feels odd to say it, but that little touch paper was in terms of the footballing side of things wasn't quite there, and whether. They just need now to rest and regroup. I mean, it's a fantastic opportunity now, isn't it, to bounce back on on Wednesday. Um, Chalabar's been, you know, walking this tightrope of his ban for a while. That now kicks in. Jao Pedro, as we've mentioned, is is always never far away from getting involved in something. He's going to miss the game as well. Perhaps, you know, we can get that out, out of the way and clear the decks and hopefully bounce back. But I think to go back to your earlier question, John, about the identity of this team, I'm I'm enjoying it, like Colin said, so much more. If nothing else, at least the games are entertaining now, and at least when we tune in on a Saturday afternoon, we are we're hopeful of having something to talk about when we do the podcast. Hopeful of sort of seeing something exciting, and now hopeful of getting promoted again. All three things that we didn't really have a, a few, you know, six weeks ago. So that that's great. Now we're, we've moved very quickly into a different phase. They've had something they haven't had to deal with now, which is a bit of adversity, a poor-ish performance. Um, a difficult afternoon for a whole host of reasons, and how they bounce back now will um, will imp- will will inform exactly how how far along we are in this promotion push. We probably can only afford to lose another one or two. The reality is, if we're going to get automatic, that's that's the reality of it. Um, so they and they will have to dust themselves down. But I think everything we saw today gives me hope that they'll be back in there thinking, right, come on, lads, deep breath, on we go. And I think. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's so many factors around this Watford season that makes it continues to make it difficult. And I've said there's very little room for error, not much wiggle room. Well, we've seen that this afternoon down at down at Bournemouth, and and they have to react now. Um, but I'm excited to see how they do. I think they'll have there's going to be a force change in in personnel, um, and it's going to be absolutely fascinating. But not just fascinating, whereas before it was like a bit of a curate, a bit sort of almost like a ghoulish interest in what the hell Watford are going to do this week to make us all so upset and uh, disappointed. This time, I think we feel like we're on the front foot and we're chasing something. There's something attainable. Uh, and I'm, uh, despite a disappointing afternoon today, I'm excited to see what comes next on Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you aren't a subscriber to The Athletic yet, then you can go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and sign up. You get to read the world-class analysis and coverage of football, as well as the whole network of sports that The Athletic cover. Uh, And also, 
Uh, you get to listen to this here podcast absolutely ad-free uh, via the app or via the Athletic website. So go to athletic.com forward slash rookie end. Uh, and if you are already a subscriber, then make sure you go to the site and search for prostate cancer uh, and find the article where you can sign up for the Watford FC quiz which Adam Leventhal will be hosting on the 8th of March uh, in the evening Uh, it's going to be basically we're trying to find the most knowledgeable Watford fan out there and if you are the most knowledgeable Watford fan then you get to go to the grand final and have the possibility of winning £1,000 and all this is aimed to try and raise some money at the same time for prostate cancer a charity that's very close to our hearts here at From the Rookery End if you are a subscriber then make sure you sign up if you're not a subscriber go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end where you can currently get a subscription for three ninety nine a month. It's about a pound a week, about eight pence a day, uh, which is half price of the normal subscription. Um, you might have heard on the commentary on Sky Sports that they seem to have quite an interesting insight uh, into Daniel Backman. And it might have been. Well, you never know. They might have listened to the WD18 uh, YouTube fans channel because uh, last week they had an interview with him. Jacob sent him a quick message to tell us what they got to hear about from Daniel. Hi lads, that's right, we had Daniel Backman on WD18 for an interview and, and he was absolutely brilliant, gave us 45 minutes of his time to talk all things Watford at the moment, how he's finding life at the club, because this is the first time we've really seen him have a sustained run as number one. I think there was an element of frustration that his opportunities have been limited up until this point. Of course, he went on loan to Kilmarnock in the 18-19 season and he came back and obviously with this pathway being blocked with Gomez and, and Foster still being at the club, he's had to be patient and this is the first time we're getting to see what Daniel Backman is capable of. Uh, he's kept six clean sheets since the Huddersfield game in the league. Uh, he came in for the, the game at Old Trafford against Manchester United. And he just seems to be relishing the opportunity to, to prove to Watford and the Watford fans what he can do. So he talks a lot about the transition as a backup goalkeeper to number one. We talked about elements of his game that we noticed. For example, his distribution has definitely stood out to me. So we talked a little bit about the technical aspects. Does goalkeeper training change depending on uh, the different goalkeepers? Who has he enjoyed the most with, with the goalkeeper coaches? And also off the pitch as well, because I think often we don't really get to see the personality of some players. And, and I think with the quick fire questions at the end, as you, you'll see in the video, he answered some, some random questions. For example, if there's one teammate you take to dinner in the Watford squad, who would it be? Uh, and he went for William Truce the Kong. And it was just really interesting to see who he bonds with who's been a big influence on him at Watford and also what was massive was his aspirations for the Euros. He's really, really keen to get to the Euro 2021 squad and we asked him, does it feel like it's come at the perfect time, this run in the team? Um, So that was all covered in the video. If you could check it out, that'd be massively appreciated on WD18 YouTube channel um, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WD18fans. Thank you to the lads for having me on. Hope you're all well and come on you on it. You can go and listen to the full interview on the WD18 YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com. I don't know if you heard that website. It's quite big uh, and search for WD18 and the interview will be there. But, but let's listen to a little clip. This will be an interesting one. Who's the best trainer at the club in your opinion? The first one that came to my mind then was Maps, but obviously he's not there anymore. But he was he was just an outstanding professional. People like Isma, who's played pretty much every minute this season, and I don't think he's missed the training either. But these are the kind of players we have, which obviously is really good for the squad. You know, there's no you know no no letdowns in a way because obviously you, you get people that kind of sack training off a little bit sometimes, mm-hmm. and we don't have that at all. So it's hard to to pick one player. But like I said, the first one that came to mind was Maps because he just just outstanding in everything he did but right now I just think we're a really really good group of people with 
everybody pulling it the right direction and um, yeah that's what we need in the next 15 games Mike this week on uh, on social medias uh, at Watford Podcast on Twitter on Facebook uh, and on uh, Instagram uh, we, we had a good old ch- you, you were having a good old you were actually having a good old chat about away days weren't you it's something we're definitely missing and today we were missing a, a, a trip to the south coast with the sun shining weren't we Oh yeah, you woke up this morning. The sun shining. I think every every Watford supporter, man, woman, girl, whatever, granddad, nanny, whoever, would be thinking, "Ah, oh, what I'd be give to be on the road down to to Bournemouth to see Watford in action in the sun." And I think yes, as we as as sort of spring springs, whatever it is, we we're just yearning, aren't we, to get a bit of normality back in our lives? And a bit of normality is, of course, following. Watford away from home. So I, th- I thought I'd allow ourselves to daydream a little bit and talk about people's favourite away days and uh, yeah a bit of uh, a bit of reminiscing by way of looking forward and uh, yeah some absolute crackers came in um, one of my favourites an absolute you know every time I think of Watford away this is the the dream that you hope for it's going to be something like this game and I'll go back to it again and again and again most people know I'm going to say already the away day at Peterborough on a Tuesday night uh, in the depths of a relegation battle uh, six pointer away at Peterborough, dying embers of the season. It was uh, it was a win or bust really for Watford, and uh, a topsy turvy game ended ended four three to Watford. And it was the most noisy, jam packed, raucous, ludicrous away end I think I've ever been in in my in my life. The, just the atmosphere was electric. I very rarely heard Watford supporters so so loud as that night, and that one got a a lot of mentions. Understandably, absolutely brilliant. I've got well, I mean, we've got me uh, mouth watering just thinking about it. Getting on the road to Watford again, I cannot wait. Uh, Jason, what's your favourite away day you, you ever had? I don't mean you know maybe, maybe you can think about what makes a great away day is, is one is the, is the trip and going with all your mates. Two, it might be the fact that we won a game, and sometimes it's about a particular moment. Uh, what for you though? What what away trips uh, stand out for you, Jason? Yeah, you talk about a particular moment, one that sort of instantly comes to mind was that game at QPR during the uh, Boothroyd playoff running when um, we'd we'd gone 1-0 down. I obviously mentioned QPR earlier in the piece. It's, it's always a, a keen game <laughs> against them. It's a little bit of a derby. I'm sure we all know a few QPR fans out there being sort of in close proximity. Um, we'd gone 1-0 down and then I think it was Paul Furlong lobbed Ben Foster and Okay, it looks like it's going to be 2 0, but hang on, the ball's bounced back off the bar. Um, the QPR fans were already celebrating, but no, it hadn't gone in. We're all then sort of jumping around in mock celebration. Fozzie knocks it long, Ashley Young picks it up, puts it in the top corner. What's the phrase they say these days, boys? Is it limbs? Because <laughs> um, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely, definitely something like that. It was sort of cue massive celebrations. It's and it's a bit like, I mean, obviously we we all know about Deeney goal, but it's that sort of thing, isn't it? There's a moment where it looks like you're about to go two 0 down. It's going to be game over. Less than a minute later, we're back in the game. It's one all. The momentum shifts, and we go on to win the game two one. And it's things like that. And then, and it, it is just fun. You sort of almost taking the mickey out of the uh, out of the opposition fans and i remember after that game as well sort of walking back into to shepherd's bush because we were heading to walk about to have a few beers and a few more post-match and there was a a, a qpr fan an older qpr fan with his son and he was ranting and raving probably like we were after the game today <laughs> and he was he, he was he was not very uh happy um, supportive of of uh of us he he, he wasn't um didn't appreciate Watford in one bit in the slightest 
how could we lose to those? And I'm not going to repeat what he said because he's very, mm-hmm. very rude. Um, but it was just funny, just, <laughs> just walking down with your mates. We didn't sort of attract his attention or anything, but just listening to him. And it's just those, those things like that just, just makes the day that little bit enjoyable and then sort of go and celebrate down the pub. Fantastic Colin, times. Colin, for you, you know, is it is it the moment? Is it the trip? Is it the game? The fact it's a, a classic result, a 4-0 away at Luton. What for you makes a, a great game, a great away, a great away trip? Well, I suppose um, there's been so many, I can barely remember them all, but um, the, 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 the most recent ones, I remember going to Millwall uh, on a Saturday afternoon with Flo, my daughter, who was back in 2014, I think it was, it was a two-all draw and at the New Den, and she had been to an away game, I think, or we, were, we had tickets in the family stand at the time, and she was slightly losing interest because the family stand can be very quiet and there's, she was getting a bit older and, you know, she wanted to, you know, she was 12, 13, she wanted a bit more excitement and she was talking about how we should move to the rookery. And anyway, I took her to Millwall with my brother-in-law, the three of us went, we sat on the top tier, it was absolutely packed with Watford fans. They sang for 90 minutes and it was the, it was the match, the away match that really, that one match, she, she said to me re- it recently that it was that one game and she was like, oh yeah, I get it now. And that was it. And off we went and we went to, you know, I don't know how many games we went to in the, in the subsequent three or four years until she, you know, had to start doing her GCSEs and was very sensible and said, I think I'm not going to go to football this season because I need to study. So um, that game really, I remember, but i now I have to say, I mean, I think my favourite away game for years was the game at Brighton when we won 2-0 mm. and we were promoted later in the day because it was my birthday for one thing. And it was incredibly tense. That end, uh, we were 1-0 up. It was, you know, it, it was just... And then the, the incredible release of yeah, emotion that's when it. Vidra scored the second goal and that feeling of euphoria and then going, uh, getting the train from former and going on to, down onto Brighton Seafront and there were Watford fans everywhere eating fish and chips. The sun was shining and it, we didn't really know or care whether that was going to be enough to get us promoted at that in those moments. It was just the pure joy of being away from home, following your team in a massive key game and coming away with the victory. I've yeah, also I went like, to Scarborough with Ollie. Go on. I like I like you. Well, you're going to mention Scarborough, and that is that does definitely fall into this category of hidden gems. And <laughs> a massive a massive thanks to everyone who responded. The feedback was was absolutely incredible. But what I loved and it also gets the juices flowing are those little ones that you perhaps wouldn't think about. And a big shout out to to Gary Wolf at Hyena Four on on Twitter. He he said it was his first ever away day, and it was Sheffield United away in the FA Cup 1990. Can anyone remember the result? No. Was it one no, all? Did no. we equalise late on? Oh. We did. We did. Oh, so it was one all. Uh, we lost remember that. Bailey. Was it Gary, Gary Penrice? It was Gary ah, Penrice. Yeah. Gary. So Gary, Gary says, so many for me, but a- always remember my first ever away day at Sheffield United away in the FA Cup. Losing 1-0 in 1990. Um, right at the death, Lyburn Henry cross for Gary Penrice to slide in the equaliser. Remember being thrown in the air by my dad and his mates, and the buzz on the way home was unbelievable. So, like you, Colin, like Flo's little, um, got the got the juices flowing. It realising what magic football can bring, and and a couple of other people sort of replied to Gary's tweet there, saying how much they enjoyed that game. But the fact that you know I couldn't have picked the result in a million years, and we went out in the replay. It didn't. It wasn't the kickstarting to an amazing. Um, an amazing cup run or anything like that. It's just those little moments in time 
for fellow supporters and and obviously supporters of every club have got them but just the the response to that was was absolutely amazing just got the goosebumps i've got goosebumps thinking about gary thinking about his his experience there it's it's wonderful isn't it what what football can can deliver for us and those away days are so uh, so important aren't they in in the part of the rich tapestry of being a, a football supporter here's to plenty more successful Watford away days in the not too distant future yeah fingers crossed uh, we actually want to have your stories we want to talk put a special podcast together about yeah, away games, Watford. We've often done this on the podcast where we've done like a diary of a trip when we've gone away. Colin's done a few down to Southampton, remember, and one to Bournemouth, in fact. If you've got a phone uh, and you've got the, the voice memo app, if you can just record a little story uh, about a trip that you had when you went to an away game, uh, doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a big game. It might just be a moment. It might be just something that happened on the trip there. Then, then do get in touch. Email them to podcast at fromtherookerend.com. Uh, and in fact, we've got one. Uh, that came as part of our Watford in a hundred objects. We're basically involved a fish, a duck, and two trips to Workington a very long time ago. Here is a story that Ken Jackson shared with us. Ah, consider the year 1966. Now, most football fans will immediately associate that with England winning the World Cup. Uh, But not me. That was the year I started as a regular away match fan, and was the year I visited Workington twice in the space of seven months. Firstly, a nil-one reverse, and then a 2-1 victory. Both were memorable trips, even more so because it's now doubtful that a Watford fan will ever travel there twice in a year again. The first match was memorable for our attempts to get into the match for free by wading through the derwent mud at low tide. Thwarted, unfortunately, by an eagle-eyed local plot. My friend had just found a rather large dead fish when we were accosted by the plot, and he attempted to hide it behind his back, not realising that its tail fins are sticking up above his head. His innocent and grieved plea of, Fish! What fish, officer? Had the rest of us in stitches, even the plot. Now, fast forward to November of that year, Around 12 of us made the long trip north, a far cry from today's horde of travelling hornets, and arrived there quite early. With nothing to do but wait for opening time, we strolled around the town centre and found a uh, Woolworths to uh, nose around in. Spying some rather larger-than-life-sized yellow plastic ducks, we acquired one before moving on to a local hostelry to prepare for the match. The duck, one of the squeaking when squeezed variety, was decked out in a Watford scarf and was prominent in both our goal celebration and victory cries at the end. As the players trooped off, we presented the duck to Alec Farrell, who, to be honest, looked a little bit miffed on the receiving end of such a strange offering. I have no idea what happened to the duck after that, but every time I hear of Workington, I'm straight back to that happy afternoon thinking of both the victory and the duck. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Thank you very much, Colin. Lovely to, to hear from you. Oh, it's a, a real pleasure, uh, even though, the res- you know, despite the results, it's been a pleasure to talk. And uh, as always, it's great therapy after a game like that, where you're all shook up and uh, your heart's pumping and the adrenaline and the fury and the rage when you lose to Bournemouth. So, yeah, it's been, it's been excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you, Jason. Thank you. I'm feeling a little less angry than I was at the start. It's either the cathartic <laughs> process of doing this or it's the fact that Brentford and Luton are both losing at home. And I think 
Reading and Cardiff are both winning, so I'm assuming that pushes Bournemouth back out of the playoffs. So you suck <laughs> on that, Bournemouth. <laughs> and thank you very much, Michael. No problem. Stick with it, Mum. I love you. We've got this. We'll be back stronger. We'll be the ones laughing come the end of the season. Stick with it, Mum. Come on, you want it. The Athletic.